God is good. He is. The, uh, in 2 Kings chapter 6, the king of Aram, or Aram, or Aram, king of some nation, king of some nation, had declared war on Israel. But every time he would attack, it's like the nation of Israel, they knew what was coming. They knew the plan. They knew the strategy. And so the king of Aram could not make any headway. So he calls a, his war council together and he is going to get to the bottom of who is the spy among us. Which one of you is it? And they're like, no, no, it's not us. It's this prophet of God named Elisha. Elisha tells the king of Israel what you say in your bedroom. And so they search for Elisha and they find out he's in the city of Dothan. And so this king wants to win this war. So the king of Aram sends a a, a strong force, scripture says, horses and chariots, soldiers to Dothan in the dark of night and surround it. And so we pick up with the action in verse 15 of 2 Kings 6. When the servant of the man of God got up And went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, oh, Lord, open his eyes so he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Speaking of angels watching over us, welcome back to week three of what I hope is a very meaningful, revealing, eye-opening series that we're in, a kingdom-bringing series, a life and health-producing series sermon series on spiritual warfare that I've entitled Take Your Stand Accepting Your Call in Spiritual Warfare. And I've used that title, picked that title very biblically, very on purpose. I had one of our elders texted me last week after week two of this series and he texted me something that I hope is true. He said that might have been one of the most impactful sermons for the health of the kingdom you have ever preached. And I, I heard that, and that is not a comment on my preaching prowess by any means. It is a comment on this subject matter and how he sensed that we probably ne- have neglected this subject, and yet it's important if it's in our Scripture, if it is the worldview. So just like for the servant of Elisha in the story we just read, when our eyes are open to the biblical worldview that we live in a very populated universe, that there are other characters that are not God, but nor are they humanity. There's some other class of spiritual beings on the stage of life. Just like for that servant, it changes everything. Can you imagine the difference in the demeanor of that servant before his eyes were open to the spiritual beings that were there on the stage and after. I'm assuming that 95, if not all of you, percentage-wise, believe that the story I just read from 2 Kings actually happened. That you believe that 
There are invisible beings. And can you imagine that servant's demeanor before when he only saw what we can see with our fleshly eyes and after? I imagine he was a lot different. And I imagine if we honor the, this biblical worldview that we live in a highly populated universe, that there is a war going on, that there's good and evil forces, good that's loyal and in solidarity with God, loyal to God, and evil forces that are not in solidarity with God, but in rebellion. And they attack, they're fighting, and that the evil ones, according to Scripture, make a priority of us as people who follow the testimony of Jesus. And that, if we believe that, and that we believe we have a role to play in that war, and we have the ability, the power, the authority to engage in it, to resist the evil forces of darkness in this dark world, and win every time we do, that would change everything. So, week one, we laid out the biblical foundation for this worldview. Week two, we went to Jesus, both for validation of that worldview in his mind and in his life and in his ministry, but we also learned from him how to fight. He models it for us. He teaches us how to resist. And so I won't re-preach those. I'm, I'm, I'm desperate to, but we've got something else to look at today. Today, I want to expose how the enemy fights. I've referred to Ephesians 6 and pieces of it several times, and I'll do it again here. It says in verse 10 and 11, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand, there's our series title, against the devil's scheme. So we talked last week about that first phrase. How do we stand in, how do we stand our ground? How do we do that in the Lord's strength, in his mighty power? This week, I want to talk about that last phrase. What are the devil's schemes? Because in any war, it would give you an advantage, just like in that story, the king of Israel had an advantage when he knew how the king of Aram was going to attack. And so it's same is true spiritually. If we can be aware of the devil's schemes, if we know how the enemy is going to attack... That would give us a huge advantage. So today, since we're supposed to fight against those schemes, I want to talk about what are those schemes. And we go a long, long way in knowing how the enemy fights just by reading how he's described in Scripture. What's he like? Just by reading the names that Scripture gives to him. Okay, the enemy. And so there's huge insight here. And before we do that, I just thought of this sitting down there. You don't have a slide for this, Craig. I, I want to say another prayer. I want to model for you what Jesus models for you, what Paul models for you, what I'm trying to model for you in this series, and that's a, this spiritual warfare prayer. And I want you to remember that this is just deeply scriptural. That what we're praying when we pray a warfare prayer is it's, it's just exactly what we're reading about in scripture. And so another text, another text that talks about the power that Jesus has over spiritual enemies. Okay, it's in Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to read verse 8 and then uh, just 13 through 15. It says this, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition 
and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Let's pray. Dear God, I just want to pray in the name of Jesus Christ. I want to pray against any force, any ruler, any principality or authority that of this dark world that stands against you and attacks us. I just command in the name of Jesus that force, that spirit away. And I bring all of the power of the blood of Christ. I bring all of the power of the cross to bear, to break anything, anything that is not of you. And it's in the name of Jesus that I pray for this teaching, for this series, and for this body of Christ. Amen. Okay, so we go, again, get a huge insights just by looking at some of the statements in Scripture. So I've got four of them, four Scriptures that give us insight. I like to start with Jesus whenever we can. And so starting with Jesus in John 8, he's rebuking some Pharisees and how they are interpreting Scripture in a false way. And he gives one of his strongest rebukes to them. But what I'm wanting you to notice is what he, how he describes the enemy. He says, you belong to your father, the devil. There is no truth in him, the devil. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So if you get nothing else about the schemes of the enemy, it's this. He's a liar. He lies. This is, it is very possible that this probably sums up everything else we look at in terms of how the enemy attacks spiritually. He's deceptive. He distorts the truth. You can go all the way back. I won't preach this again, but go all the way back to the garden. It started right there. That's what he did. He went to Adam and Eve, and he distorted the truth. He said something that he knows that they want. They want to be like God. You'll be like God if you disobey God. You know, he's holding that on you. The one thing that was true about them, Adam and Eve is that they are like God. They were made in his image. That's the one thing we know about them at the beginning, and that's the thing that he comes in and flares up. Don't you want to be like God? Well, yeah. Yeah, well, you got to eat this. And they, hmm, maybe that's true. And so they did that. He's a liar. He started out that way. He's never stopped. He's a liar. That's his scheme. That's his scheme. And we learn that right here. Then we move on. Revelation 12, 9. You remember we read this a couple of weeks ago. But again, we look at his name. He's named that ancient serpent that takes it all the way back to the character in the garden, right? We know who that is. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. All right, so we know his goal here. This is another way to see his goal. There's several verses like this, but he's trying to lead you astray. He does not want you going the way of God. He does not want you going the way of life and light and love. 
He's trying to distort things. He's trying to lead you astray. So the words that are used here to describe that serpent are devil. The Greek word is diablos. It's where we get our word diabolical. That's diabolical. That's where we get it. That word isn't named after Satan. And it means accuser. Diablos means accuser or slanderer. And then he uses the word devil or Satan. Sorry. Satan can also mean accuser or opposer. He opposes, but it's through slander or accusation. So we see he falsely accuses. He accuses. Have you ever just been, you have some of these self-talk that you do that you're like, I'll never, you know, the common one, I've mentioned it already in this series, the common one that I hear is, I know the gospel applies to you, but not to me, not after what I've done. Who told you that? Where did you get that? Where did that idea come from? Bible-believing Christians sit in my office and say that. Where does that come from? We got we to pay attention. We got to be alert, Peter says. We got to watch for that. Other things like, oh, I will never be able to defeat that sin. That's just the way I am. Who says? Why are you saying that? Why are you agreeing with that? Everything in our faith says that's not true. You know, oh, I'm a horrible father. I'm a horrible husband. I'm a horrible spouse or child or Christian or church member or what? And you're just living under this cloud of accusation. Where does that come from? Scripture? God? Is he saying that? He's a liar. And he falsely accuses. He wants you to believe distortions of truth so that you'll operate on those. He wants you to believe accusations so that you'll live under a spirit of condemnation rather than the gospel, which brings freedom. Second Corinthians, Paul is also kind of confronting some some guys that have gotten into the church in Corinth and they're setting themselves up as leaders and he's confronting them that they're deceiving you from within and again, that, that's what he's condemning here. But what I want you to see is his, what he says in a secondary sort of way about the enemy. He says, for such men are false apostles, they're false sent ones, deceitful workmen masquerading as sent ones of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Do you see it? So Satan, this is another one of his schemes, he disguises himself. An angel, you know what angel means? That means messenger. So he disguises himself as a messenger of light, of light, of truth, right? He's, he's, he's not coming. I wish he came as some big red on fire demon with wings and horns and a pitchfork. Be easy to spot him. I wouldn't have to be very alert if I was doing that. But he comes as like truth, something that makes a lot of reasonable sense. If he comes along and grabs a little bit of truth, but then attaches to it a distortion that I then make an agreement with and I operate as if that's true, wow. He's disguised. He hides. We need to be aware. This is his scheme. This is the devil's scheme is to put on a mask, is to hide. And then finally, y'all know my favorite verse, John 10.10. I'm always quoting the second part of it. It's a, kind of the purpose Jesus came. This is his whole point, that they have come that they might 
that he has come that they might have life and have it to the full. But the first part of that that I often skip is describing why the enemy comes. And the enemy's called a thief here. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's his aim. Leading us astray, he's trying to steal and kill and destroy. What? What's he trying to steal? What's he trying to kill? Kill everything of the kingdom. Your joy, your peace, that can be so powerful that no one can understand it. It goes beyond understanding, right? Your righteousness, your, your rightness between you and God, your living rightly. He's trying to tempt you to destroy that, to steal your joy, steal your relationships, the health of your relationships. He'd love to steal your church from you. If he could just use something in, your, in the church to hurt you and then come alongside that, that imperfect church and make, have you make an agreement. Church full of hypocrites, they're, not, they're worth, I'm never going to that again. Mm. There's just so many ways. But these are his strategies. These are his schemes. He lies, he accuses, he hides, and he's trying to steal and kill and destroy. So when, when we are told in First Peter to be alert, right? To be self-controlled and alert because the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for something to devour. Be alert of what? This. This. You just be alert. You're looking for lies. You're testing the spirits, another scripture says. You're paying attention. Does this bring life to my heart or something else? Does this bring joy to who I'm sharing this gospel truth with or division or negativity or condemnation, something else? And that brings us to an important verse, an important idea, and that is that what Jesus says. He says, no, this is in Luke 6, verse 43. He says, no good tree bears bad fruit and no, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its fruit. So what are we being alert for? We're being alert because we want to judge whether what's happening is coming from good or evil, from God or somewhere else, from the liar. So to illustrate this very practically, I want to share with you an email exchange I had from a sister this past week, okay? And I got her permission, and she said, absolutely, and I know she's not alone in things like this happen. I've heard from many of you, but she articulates this really well. And I just want to put flesh on this scheme and how it might work for someone. Okay, here's what she said. So this is, by the way, this is after last Sunday, week two of this series. All right. She said, hey, two Sundays ago, that was the first week, I left before the sermon with a migraine. I usually listen during the week if I missed it. I did not last week. It was a week, to be sure. I heard several people say they had a week too during Bible class this week. Anyway, I didn't really know what the topic was. The first time I knew was when Doyle mentioned it during praise team practice. Didn't bother me when he said it. You got up to preach, I was still fine. The longer it went on, I felt my demeanor change. I have no idea why. By the time church was over, I could not get out of there fast enough. Like literally, did not talk to anyone unless they spoke to me, which I tried to avoid. 
I've been in a mood ever since. I can't figure it out. Like, you said the truth, you use scripture, it's a real thing and needs to be heard, but I don't know what it is. I haven't been able to shake it. And honestly, I don't want to hear the next two lessons. This has absolutely nothing to do with you. I just can't figure it out or the effect it's had on me. I'm at a loss. I'm just curious. I've gotten several phone calls and emails like this. Has anyone else had that? Just raise your hand. If since we started this series, you've had some kind of mysterious, kind of weird thing. Okay, Not, not many, but a few. I've heard from some. I was just curious about that. But this sister has. And... One, and so again, one of the imperative things to do when, to whether, whether to know something might be spiritual, and by that I mean spiritual warfare, is it work or not, is to look at the fruit. What's the fruit of this? So I, I kind of look at this, right? And I'm, I don't normally take these painstaking evaluation of your emails, but I'm looking at it and I'm going, okay, a migraine happened while she's here in worship enough to make her decide to leave. She misses the first message that's the biblical foundation for this worldview, okay? Then she normally, her norm is if I miss the sermon, I listen during the week. The week, I had a week. So she had a week. She did not get to do what, her, what is her routine, what is her rhythm and her normal. She didn't get that first teaching. She shows up to the second one, and in my mind, kind of unprepared is what she's saying. I came unprepared. I didn't have that first week. I hear about it. I'm fine. And what she hears, she knows it's scripture. She knows it's true. She knows it's needed. She says all that. Yet, inexplicably, her demeanor changes. Now, this, this sweet sister loves this church, loves you. She loves coming here. She loves the fellowship she has. And she changed. What was the fruit of this demeanor change? She's out of here. She is separating herself from this fellowship just as fast as she can. She does not know why. It's inexplicable, but she's leaving. And then that cloud follows her all week, and she acknowledges, I don't want to hear the next two weeks. I don't want to go back to my church family, and I don't want to hear this teaching. So she shares all that with me, and I'm just going, wow, what happened here? Now, if the enemy is real, it's just just pretend like scripture's real and there is an enemy and he does have schemes and he is implementing them all right let's just pretend like that then who wins in this who wins we have to ask that does god win does she win do we win does her heart win if she does what she's inclined to do by these circumstances that she can't figure out I mean, she had a week. It seems like getting up on Sunday morning already with the undergirding of, I just don't want to hear those messages, but had a week. It's been carrying me around. It's a pretty good reason to stay in bed this morning. Wouldn't it be? I mean, I've stayed in bed for less. And so it would just, who wins if that happens? And I agree with her. This is baffling. This is inexplicable. I can't pin down what's going on if... You don't have this category that the enemy seems to keep her from wanting to listen about. If she has this category, she may know exactly what this is, 
by the fruit, by what she's learning. And what might happen to her is what happened to that prophet, servant, Elisha's servant. God opens her. Oh, I agree with her. It's very difficult, very confusing. And she might try everything she knows to do as a Christian. Maybe I need to get down to the bottom of the barrel and confess sin. You know, maybe that's here. Or maybe I just need some wise counsel from my small group or a professional Christian counselor. Or maybe, maybe I, you know, maybe I need to go to the doctor and I've got some chemical imbalance in my body and I need to take care of that. I need to balance that out. And sometimes all of those things are needed appropriately. But what if it's not any of those? What if it's this category? And the scheme of the devil is to remain hidden. Is to remain. I mean, if I go to, if I take a Tylenol for my broken wrist, it's just not going to heal the wrist. Even if I take another one, and then another one, and then I take the whole bottle, I take it for five years, and I'm wondering why my wrist isn't healing right. I'm taking Tylenol because it's all I know to do. I need another category to address that. So here's, here's what I replied. I said, hey, sis, listen to the first week for me. Now, I know I use the Bible this week. I'm doing that quite on purpose since we're so unfamiliar with this topic and possibly skeptical of it. But the title of the last week's lesson was Spiritual Warfare, A Biblical Foundation. I'm keying in on your email where you said, kind of self-talking to yourself, it's truth, you use scripture, and I'm thinking that perhaps because this is so new and possibly troubling, which would, I would say is because of unfamiliarity, not because it's actually troubling subject, by the way, last week might help you take a breath and go, okay, it's in my Bible, and because it is, it's true. And because of everything else I know about God, I know I don't have to be troubled because the truth doesn't create that demeanor I'm feeling that separates me from church and teaching and life. It doesn't do that. It brings life and freedom and joy. So I I added that. I didn't put that in there. I said, just give it a shot. Now this week, I'll be exposing how the enemy fights. And it begins with Satan being called a liar and a deceiver or masquerader and an accuser. I'm telling you this because you said, I just can't figure it out or the effect it has had on me. I'm at a loss. That is precisely the kind of fruit the enemy wants. And he primarily uses deception to create that feeling. Just approach this series like you do that Bible podcast that you send me. Just open to learning something new. And I encourage you to try adding a warfare prayer when you pray. Speaking in the way I showed that Jesus spoke and then Paul. Something like, in the name of Jesus, I command any evil spirit that's trying to deceive, confuse, or scare me away. I love you and I'm so glad you reached out with this. All right, so what am I doing here in this council? Well, I hope what I'm doing is I'm, first of all, exposing the possibility of spiritual warfare going on that that could explain what's happening. Second, I hope I'm doing that by identifying familiar schemes that the enemy uses. And I'm doing that by judging by the fruit, right, as well. And then third, I'm coaching her to do precisely what Peter and James tell us to do. You remember? I told you about that, that he says, 
you know, kind of reconnect to God, you know, surrender yourselves therefore to God and resist him, resist the devil so that he will flee. And I'm saying on the resistance part, do it in the precise way we see Jesus do it and Paul do it. And that's with this, what I'm calling a warfare prayer. So this is my whole goal for you in the series. That's it. If you're going, what is he trying to get at? What does he want from me? What I want for you is to just add warfare prayer to your prayers. Just do it. Just do what James says to do. Be alert. Peter says, be alert. You know, and then resist him and do it in the way Jesus and Paul did. That's it. A warfare prayer. You don't have to use my exact words. In the name of Jesus, I command any evil spirit away. God will give you the words. Any residual effect that they've had on me, I, I, I bring the cross of Christ who makes a spectacle of those powers and authorities. I bring the power of the cross of Christ who has freed me. I bring it against those things. Just add that to your prayer. And let's get started. Let's do. Here, here was her response to my response. She said, thank you for this. I'll go back and listen and let you know. This is how Satan has attacked me for years. Fear, deception, etc. And it comes out in the form of self-doubt. She's, she's looking at the fruit. Isn't this smart? Self-doubt, depression, anxiety, panic attacks, anger. Then she says this, working on this part. Actively working on it. That's my call to you. I want you to work on it actively work on it, on this part, on this part of your spiritual life. I want you to work on it. That's what the enemy does not want to happen, is for you to work on it, actively work on it. But that's the call. Now, next week, I hope to somehow wrap this series up, exposing some of the specific ways, common ways, I think, that the enemy fights But what I want to end with today is uh, I was talking to a friend of mine that I've known for a long time who's invested a lot in working on it, actively working on it, kind of ahead of me in this. And so I'm telling him what I'm preaching, and and he says, you know, you're making me think of one of the things that make this a difficult topic for Christians and for Christians to work on it, to actively work on it. It's ambiguity. We're not good at ambiguity. Somehow we've gotten this idea that we need to know everything there is to know about some spiritual area of life before we engage in it. We need to know everything there is to know because we're a knowledge-based society. We need to know, right? We need to know. And so until we know enough, at least, if not everything there is to know and experience in the area, we may not put it into practice because we're afraid of getting it wrong. Right? We're nervous about getting it wrong. And I'm just saying, you can't do that. Not in any category. Okay, let's just, y'all have heard me say in some prayer series that I did that you really learn to pray by praying. Right? Like, there's tons of scripture about prayer. We know it's a thing. There's some instructions on how to pray. But you really learn to pray by taking what scripture gives you as its worldview concerning the power of prayer and go put it into practice. That's why there are countless books about prayer with stories that are not from Scripture. They are Scripture-based experiences that they learned while praying. And I want to suggest to you that spiritual warfare is the same. That you learn to engage in spiritual warfare by doing spiritual warfare. Scripture says a lot about it. Gives us a starting point. But we don't know what we don't know. And that is no reason 
to not engage in what we do know, in what we, and just get started. And I'm hoping some of you will and will become a part of this body that teaches us how to do this better. There's some of you who are better at prayer than others. I'm hoping that there are some of you that are better at spiritual warfare than others. And you start experiencing this, feeling the victory that Jesus promises by wielding his authority and helping the rest of us. So we have a great example of, of this, on this specific subject, on spiritual warfare, warfare from Jesus with his disciples. That this, I'm just finishing with this today, that I want you to have a posture of openness and giving it a try, of starting into this, and we'll learn as we go. Okay, so there's a man who brings his son to the disciples. He's being tormented by some kind of evil spirit. Here's what happens. Mark 9, starting in 18. I asked your, he's talking to Jesus. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Jesus replied, bring me the boy. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he asked. It's often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I believe, Forgive my, help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the Holy Spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, here is another example. You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked and convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead, but Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. Such an interesting story, okay? But the part that I want you to notice is that the followers of Jesus, they've been given their marching orders. They have been given authority to drive out evil, you know, to walk in it on his behalf. But they came upon a situation that what they knew didn't seem to work. It didn't seem to work. So what did they do? They go to Jesus and they ask him, hey, what? We've got this circumstance where what we know didn't work. And so Jesus coached them. He taught them. Now, I like the idea that the most powerful thing that we have in our arsenal is something we're kind of familiar with anyway. That's prayer, okay? But that's kind of refreshing and encouraging. But, uh, but my real point here is they didn't have it all mastered when they went and engaged with the authority of Christ against these other characters that the Bible says are on the stage in that category of spiritual life. So would you join me in this? Would you just join me? All I'm asking is that you add a spiritual warfare prayer to your prayers. To be alert that maybe the Holy Spirit will say, hey, this might be a time to do the spiritual warfare prayer. If you don't know, ask God. God, is this, is something going on here? Is this something? I I know I'm presuming a lot on you. I'm presuming you can have an active and real relationship with God through his Holy Spirit where he will lead you and he will guide you. Okay? He will. He loves you. He's after you. So, again, we are just doing 
this formula. If you want a formula, the verse that I love is in James 4, 7, and 8. Hope it's underlined in your, in your Bible. Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's those two moves. We need to surrender ourselves to God, reconnect to God, and then resist. And we're doing it in the way Jesus showed us. So I want to ask our elders and ministers to move around the room. And uh, they're just going to be here while they're to, if you need any prayer, if you want to know more about following Jesus. And I just want to read, I've been referring to Ephesians 6, but I want to just finish by reading the whole thing to you. Because it's just a powerful synopsis of everything I think Paul says about spiritual warfare all in one place. And uh, most clearly calls you to do it. Okay, the call is for you to do it. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when, not if, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled at your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit, on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Church, Jesus said, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Nothing will harm you. Let's stand. Let's sing. And let's pray.